an aha moment that I can share. This was in a yoga class holding warrior two. It's like 98 degrees. Humidity is probably somewhere around 80%. Totally silent, no music, no mirrors, holding warrior two for what felt like a very unacceptable period of time. And the teacher was completely silent, which is so powerful. So powerful when we shut our mouths. (laughs) And, uh, broke the silence to just say one thing. If you think it's going to suck, it's going to suck. And then just left us with that. And that moment changed my life because what I was doing sucked because I thought it sucked. And that sent me on a quest in my life to see where else I was creating suck. And I was creating it everywhere. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess. I'm here with Coach Beach, and we are here with our monthly show, Ask the YTs. We've got some awesome questions. I can't wait to dive in. We are on a mission to create a better world. You guys are all a part of it. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Um, we are not too far down the line for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We got to keep getting this message out, you guys. And... Um, Because I believe that we all came here to be our best, and I believe that athletes are tailor-made to be their best, so let's just be our best. And I believe that these meaningful conversations, these monthly shows that Beej and I do, really help to shine a light on blind spots that as humans we're really good at um, not even knowing are there or covering them up or living in untruth. So... Thank you for everything you do to share the show, talk about the show, and live the show. Live the techniques, live the messages that you get, because you can listen all day long, but if you don't put it into action, nothing's ever going to change. You can read that book over and over and over, but if you don't put it into action, (laughs) it's just the book. (laughs) All right, what else before we dive in? Oh, let's see. Oh, the Wake Athlete. Awake Athlete Podcast. I have given birth let us, to let the us Awake Athlete podcast. Sh- shine some light on this. The cool thing is that adventure. we're recording this about 48 hours before the Awake Athlete podcast season one drops. And it's kind of cool to be talking about it before anybody even knows about it. And really, here's the brass tacks of the Awake Athlete podcast, because I'm done hiding it. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Do you agree with that, PJ? 100%. Okay. Hear that all the time. It's kind of mainstream. Like, I feel like that's kind of a mainstream message. We hear it all the time. If we are not attending to the spiritual aspect of ourselves, we are missing, we're missing the boat, like the whole boat. I was going to say we're missing like a huge part of us, but if that is truly who we are having a human experience, don't we want to steer the ship from that higher perspective? So Awake Athlete is about sharing perspectives and contemplations from a 10,000-foot view of life. It's raw. It's truthful. I'm super vulnerable. I tell stories that are embarrassing about how I act in public when I am under the influence of the false self. And I just... I'm just using this as a platform to um, to share what moves through me. And it's really for athletes who, when they hear about people on this warrior path that it's one in a thousand that actually make it, 
the people that are drooling, those are the awake athletes, the one out of a thousand. That's who you are. That's who I am. And, um, and I think that those people are just going to be clawing for more. But I also believe that it's going to benefit everybody, everybody who listens to it, because if you're drawn to it, uh, there's something there for you. It's a short form podcast. So I'm pretty psyched about this. One of the things I love are these like podcasts that are 17 minutes, eight minutes, you know, 22 minutes. And that's what this is. I think the shortest one's like eight minutes long and the longest one's like 23 minutes. So it's not a huge commitment. And they're I think it's just amazing wisdom and and ways to suspend our belief systems and look at life from up above where we're seeing the whole picture and not just this narrow viewfinder of the neural pathways in our brain. Um, so I go off the rails. I have a lot of fun. I hope you guys are enjoying it. I hope you binged on it and you're on like your third binge. Like it's you like those episodes even- released on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. And 10 episodes, 11 episodes. Yeah. How quickly can you watch it? So that's, uh, so that's kind of that. I hope uh, if you haven't checked it out, go check it out. Leave a review. Share the show. You guys help us get this message out into the world. You know, athletes, we want to be our best. And if we're not attuning to our best self, then we're never we're never going to be our best. And I just, I want to be my best. Like for me, being a master is, that's the only option. That's the only option. So people who are interested in mastery in their life, doing less, um, experiencing more ease and achieving more, <laughs> this is the recipe. These are the keys to the kingdom. And you're also going to, for those that listened, you're going to give them a little bit more, right? There's a little extra Oh yeah, so there's bonus. three bonus episodes <laughs> that after I was like, okay, I've done the 11 and then I did three more bonus episodes. And one of those episodes includes a yoga nidra practice, uh, which honestly I need to listen to and, and make sure it's good enough. Uh, <laughs> the ego is very much involved in this podcast, but I'm keeping it in check. I just want to make sure that it's um, something that I would enjoy. So I'm going to listen to that. But yeah, I got three bonus episodes in there. One's about breaking cycles. Um, the other one is a yoga nidra practice. And the other one is something I can't. Oh, I know when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like in a total panic, what do you do? Everything starts flooding in. Yeah. Because as athletes, we are, we're so, you know, triathletes juggling all these different sports runners, you know, runners don't just run. There's always self-care. There's always strength. There's always yoga. Um, and so we're balancing so much and families and relationships and work and paychecks and mortgages and all of that. And sometimes when you wake up in the middle of the night, it's like all of a sudden it's all right there in front of you. And then all you really need to do in that moment is get sleep and you just can't. Can't. So what do you do? So that was big. And why do I, why did I record this episode? Because, because it probably happened. I experienced it. And I woke, <laughs> you woke up that next morning and I was sleeping on the patio. <laughs> so I'll leave it at that. Um, and then, so it is going to come out in seasons. And so what the hell do we do in between seasons besides re-listening? So I've created a, a tier on Patreon, the Awake Athlete tier. And 
It's one of the higher tiers, so you'll get everything below it. You'll get Yogi Triathlete gear, you'll get yoga classes, you'll get the recordings, you'll get all the sneak peeks of these videos that we're doing once a month. You'll get that first. Um, and then you'll also move into the Awake Athlete tier where you're going to get an Awake Athlete tea or tank. Oh, I should have had it on, but it's purple day, so um, I've got my purple dress on. <laughs> Awake athlete, uh, tea or tank, BJ created a beautiful, fiery logo, which if you've listened to the podcast, you've seen it. And then the other thing is like what we were just saying, like you can read the book, you can listen to the show, you can do all that stuff. But let me tell you something, you cannot intellectualize yourself into enlightenment. You cannot intellectualize yourself into subtle energy or higher consciousness. You have to put it into practice. So once a month, and it's going to start in September, once a month, we're going to have a monthly call. So everyone in the Awake Athlete tier or anyone who's above the awake athlete tier will automatically get the awake athlete tier. We're going to come together once a month and I'm picturing these calls being about 30 minutes. That's ideal. I have a feeling maybe some of them will go to like 40, 45 minutes because we're going to chat at the beginning, like bring it. What's going on? Who do you hate? Who are you in judgment of? What are you celebrating? Like what amazing abundance came into your life? Like, let's just share it real quick. Kind of give us a little bit of a temperature and allow that temperature to guide a meditation. So I'll lead a meditation once a month. And as a group of awake athletes, we're going to come together and we're going to put the shit into practice. And we're going to, we're going to walk the walk and we're going to talk the talk and we're going to change on a cellular level together. So we got to put this stuff into action and, um, and meditating as a group is, you know, not only super beneficial for each individual, but for the entire world. So again, it furthers our mission in creating a better world. And I think that's that's it. I'd love to hear what everybody thinks about the Awake Athlete podcast. I mean, I'm going to keep going. Yeah, nothing's happening to Yogi Triathlete. Like, no, the, it's a part of Yogi Triathlete. Our podcast will continue, and this is just an, an addition. So it's just another bonus you get for um, for following the mission of of being a better, more warrior like athlete or human yeah, being on this planet. Totally. Yeah. Totally. It's awesome. I love it. And um, Awake Athlete started as a, as a book. Well, I shouldn't even say, I mean, it's been started, it started a long time ago, but um, when quarantine hit, it started moving through me and I wrote a ton and I'm still writing, I'm revising, I'm writing, I'm revising, but then it just became clear that it's more than just one thing. It's all the feels. And so the podcast was uh, such a natural extension of Yogi Triathlete, of me, where I can just be there by myself, unsupervised behind the microphone and let it rip. And, you know, I can tell you that it's super scary knowing that it's going into the world. And I just, what I'm doing is I'm focusing on what I want. And I'm not entertaining the doubt and I'm not entertaining the fear and I'm not entertaining backlash and I'm not entertaining skeptics. I'm not entertaining any of that imaginary crap that is not helping to create a better world. And I'm focusing on what I want, which is um, more awakened people that have common sensical techniques to apply immediately in their life. And that's what the Awake Athlete provides. Beautiful. So okay. tune in. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. I think you pretty much. A little sip of cacao. Yeah. For that, I didn't even have any cacao <laughs> in me. <laughs> All right. Should we dive into questions? Yeah, let's do it. Woohoo! Yeah. I think last month we didn't have any questions. We just kind of talked. We didn't take any questions. We didn't take any. This is good. We didn't put it out there. We've got a few, so we're going we're gonna, to uh, blast through them. Why don't we go in order of how we got them? Why don't you start with um, Kai's question? And I don't know what Kai's question is. Okay. And I wasn't supposed to know until this moment right now. <laughs> All right. Kai is a team yogi triathlete, warrior, runner, 2021 warrior camper. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. All right. He knows um, that. Here's the question. You two spend more time together by far than 99% of couples. On the surface, and I believe in reality as well, you are very connected and happy together. How do you pull that off, especially in light of how much time you spend together? So I kind of hinted to you, like we've answered this question in parts before because we were, um, just a little back story to our story is we went and went on the road and were together in a car, tiny car, with everything we owned for six months, uh, living in close quarters in a tent, 80 by 80 square foot tent. It was 80 by 80. Um, no, it was just an 80 square foot tent. It was, it eight was by just 10. 80. <laughs> it was just 80. It was just 80. <laughs> it was small, but big. Um, but anyway, we spent a lot of time together, um, a lot of time without the radio, a lot of time without listening to anything on the roads of <laughs> a lot of time America. In, a lot of time in paralyzing fear about <laughs> what the F we just did. <laughs> So how do we, so the appearance is, according to Kai, like we're legit, legit, smooth, things are smooth sailing. And, and for some reason, this is, this is, this is normal, right? How can it be that way? How can it be that way? Like, come on, let's peel back the curtains and really um, dive into like what's going on behind, behind the scenes. And I'll speak for me. I won't speak for you, but what you see is what you get. Um, in my opinion, and the way that we live life outwardly is the way that we live life inwardly. Yeah. So when you peel back the curtains, this is, this is our life. This is, this is how we live. And, and I think we got to this point because we were willing to do the work on ourselves. We were willing to see those moments where agitation would be high. And I'll speak for me. Like my agitation would be high. I let's would, let's get some examples here. When is your agitation? Like, give it an example and like how you've how you've shifted to a higher perspective in that. Yeah, an example. Maybe I mean, like, obviously, I'm going to be the victimizer in the situation. <laughs> well, so I'm going to be the victimizer <laughs> to you. <laughs> it's going to be that. I mean. That's how that's how things escalate, right? <laughs> right. Okay. So I mean, you put me in a room, there probably won't be much escalation. I mean, there's not much that you're going to say that I do to agitate you that I don't already know about. And I think that number one, that's that's All key. Right, so let's talk about finances before we go to bed. Okay. You know, a comment or something would happen right before we go to bed, and it's like, did you get this done? And I'm like, ah, oh. right. And so I take that on. I take on that that energy that. Um, like I wasn't on to it. I, I didn't step up to the plate. I, I should have done this better. And, um, and initially I'd be like, no, stop telling me what, stop bringing that up before we go to bed. And it doesn't have anything to do with you bringing that up before we have to go to bed. It's 
take care of the stuff that needs to get taken care of before it gets to that point, right? So there's things that I can do myself so that it's not relying on the trigger that happens when that, when that uh, experience happens right before bed. And so we're wi- I'm winding down and then the energy would be picked up and I would feel that charge. From then, me. Like my charge would be like, my charge would be up. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. my charge would be up too because I'm like, oh my God, like <laughs> how am I going to go to bed now? <laughs> right. Right? Because I can't, you know, the mind is, is simmering down and now it just got charged up. And so my default would be to like, okay, barrel down, do something like, how can I fix it? And then that would lead to other things that were delayed. So now it's just the process of breathing through it. Okay, I understand that. I can't do anything at this point before we go to bed. So, but I don't do that anymore. No, you don't do that anymore. You said, "Oh, I thought you meant." Yeah. Give an example. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, I see where you're going. So now, <laughs> so this is sometimes how the communication is. It's like, no, wait, no, no, it's me. No, hey, whoa. No, and that was back in the day where I couldn't control my fire. Right. I couldn't control my fire. So it would come out at the end of the day right before bed because I had been suppressing it for like two weeks or something like that. And then it just boiled over because I didn't know how to manage myself. I didn't understand that that fire could be controlled, that fire could be um, internalized in a way of powerful living as opposed to bulldozing, right? Because it would just charge up so much and I didn't know what to do with it and it would manifest into panic and anxiousness and financial fear and things like that. And so then there was a part of me that was like, well, if I'm suffering and my, you know, I feel out of control, like there's no effing way he's going to get a good night's sleep. Like he's going down with me. And then it would burst and then you would, then the rules would change because I'd be like, oh, I got it out. Whew, I can sleep now. Right. And then you'd be screwed. <laughs> so it's totally unproductive. Right. So it's just, it, it's, it's moments like those and, and I didn't even communicate to you how much it charged me up. I would just go no, into but, my hole. I would just be yeah, like, oh, like, oh, Beach was in shutdown mode back right, then. Right, shut down. Don't say anything because anything you say is not going to be. Uh, conducive to the conversation. It's not going to be helpful, right? At that time. But, but now things are, are, are obviously, well, there were experiences where in those moments we would have a conversation where finally it was just like, you know what, that doesn't, it doesn't really work well for me. Yeah, like over time, over time, we started to be able to communicate better. So Kai seeing us now, um, you know, Beej and I came together as a couple in this life in 1997. So we're talking 23 years mm. of waking up together and growing up together. I was 25 when we met. And so although our connection is from the soul, there's always over 23 years been an incredible ease about our relationship that has never wavered. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's not like we were at battle all the time. No. We just had, we had some stuff that needed some um, 911 attendance 
And then, and then once we shined a light on those things through yoga and meditation, it really was. And I was doing yoga when we met. Meditation, you know, a decade ago is really when I committed to it. And from, I would say, the last decade, I hate putting time on it because I feel like I've been doing this my whole life, has just been fine-tuning. Yeah, I think we looked at what was happening. I think that's just like 90% of our relationship Ninety was like amazing. And when we begin to heighten that level of awareness, we got really acute with the experiences that were not giving, making us or working us towards that 100%. That's really what it is. Cause we want to be high, vib- high vibrating human beings. Like that's what we want to be. And when I'll say it, when I jumped on the jumped on board with you, like that's when things get real. Like you start to point the finger, you stop point, you stop pointing the finger at the other person and you really just turn it on yourself. And I can remember experiences in the car when we were driving cross country and it'd be like immediately like, fear, anxiety, or whatever it was. And then it would be immediately like, oh, it's me. It's just totally me. I'm just having my experience right now has nothing to do with you. Where it could be misconstrued as putting my shit on you. Right. A lot of it was just, just, it's me. And there's so many stages to this. So there was the blind stage where we didn't know and I had uncontrollable fire and then you would just dig a hole in the earth and go in it. And that doesn't- Like an ostrich. You know how they bury their heads? (laughs) Like doesn't work. It like doesn't, it doesn't. work. It doesn't. And then um, you know, when I started going to massage school in my early 30s, which is about the same time I started doing triathlon, there was definitely much more introspection and going in uh for me, and that really started to awaken me on a deeper level. And then meeting uh, our yoga mentor, which then became your yoga mentor, and me meeting our meditation teacher, which then became your meditation teacher. That's the other thing is that Beej and I study and have learned from consistent messaging, which is the messaging that we share in this podcast. So it's been all these different layers, right? Then it was like... um you know, I see the fire, it's out of control, and I don't know what to do with it. So just so you know, Beach, I'm choosing it. And you better get out of the house or get out of my way until or, this blows over. <laughs> or drop me in the middle of Pearl Street yeah, in Boulder. Yeah, or just drop me off and like... And- I'll call you when I'm ready. Yeah. So there was that phase. And then there's like the, then there was like the phase where it was like, no, it's me. No, it's not you. It's me. No, it's me. No, it's not. And then that was the argument, which was interesting. It was just all about us arguing who it was about more. And now I feel like we're really riding this, um, this section of our life of finding a more finer finesse. Because there's still things that make you take a step back and breathe. And there's still things that you do that, you know, it's still, it's still at the essence, it's the, still the, the same things. I'm fire. I'm like, boom, 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 boom. I can go boom, boom, boom at 4.45 a.m. And it's me controlling that. And letting you have your process and, and learning patience, which is presence. Yeah. It all comes back to uh, us, like, not looking f- for the not looking to indulge in the outside um, instigator or, or whatever that, that thing is that's lighting you up. It's, it's really how you react to it. 
that you have the power to change. I can't change the stuff that you do. I can have a conversation about it and express my feelings and emotions and frustrations, but really it, it's the work I need to do in relationship to what that trigger is and, and get curious about why it's lighting such a big fire. And it happens in meditation and yoga. It really does. It creates the space to, to see cl- more clearly what, what it is that is at the essence firing things up. And a lot of times it's fear and anxiety and um, a fear of the unknown is really what it is. You know, when you don't have the tools, you don't have the, the, um, the answers, you get frustrated, you get flustered, you get um, angry because you should know. Like we have this pressure of you should know. And when you give yourself a break and say, I actually don't know, it's one of the most powerful things you can say. Like, I don't know how to respond to that. I don't have an answer, but I'll, I'll find out. I'll look for the answer. But right now I, don't, I just don't know. Yeah, it's really it really is about communication and and now we do our meditation sessions together and that started to come out of a need of like you and I hitting a new level of communication where you really are like I don't have an answer for that right now. And me noticing if that hits a charge with me, like, how can you not have an answer right now? Like I've already got the answer that I want to hear, you know? <laughs> and uh and taking a step back and, you know, putting a little water on that fire and going for a walk and always looking at like, what do I want out of this? Do I want to win? Do I want to be right? Or do I want a deep, loving, connected relationship? And I talk about this in, in one of the episodes in Awake Athlete. So Kai, get over there. I'm sure he's already binged on it by the time this comes out. Um, but really, like, it's any kind of agitation charge that we get and spouses, family members are going to push the buttons like nobody else pushes the buttons. It All they are is the guru. All they are is, um, as it was put the other day at the meditation circle, God in drag. Like that's all you are. When you fire me up, when an action you take fires me up, all you are is God in drag. All you are is my sacred teacher in that moment to show me that I have an unhealed hurt. So I can heal that hurt or I can act from that hurt, project it onto you, not even live my own life in that moment, live through the narrow viewfinder of the ego, come down from the 10,000 foot view and expand exactly what I don't want in my life, let alone in my relationship. So this relationship is the most sacred thing to me. It's, it's so important to me. Mm-hmm. And it's not about it being, making it perfect because it already is perfect and not in the sense that our society thinks is perfect, but open communication, like respect, honesty, truthfulness, you know, like there's been some times that you've done stuff and I'm like, come on, Beach, like, dude. That's like 10 years ago, Beach. You know, that's like what you would do. Like, to, don't shut down, man. Don't do it. And sometimes you'll respond. Like, I can just feel you kind of clearing it. And then sometimes you, it's still like a deep root and you're going to act from it. And I got to let you have that. But it's, we got to, we got to look in the mirror like we've never looked in the mirror before. Anytime you have a charge about something that is not loving, you've got work to do. Mm-hmm. So that's how our relationship is evolved into what people see and what you see is is truth. And 
people who know us, who have spent time with us behind the scenes, come over for dinner, like I know they feel it and they know it too, right? And it's always been real though. Even back in the day when I was more fiery and you were, you know, maybe even more gentle, people, we've always been real, right? Like the whole, remember the whole pussies don't go to Kona thing? Like I was pretty <laughs> harsh with you on that. Like locking BJ out of the house where he couldn't come home until run. he like got his workout done. And that's where we were then, right? BJ probably, you probably needed to be locked out of the mm-hmm. house and I needed to lock you out of the house, but that's where we were and it wasn't wrong. No. So we, it's evolving. We're evolving. We're constantly evolving. In 5, 10, 20, 30, 100 lifetimes from now, we're still going to be evolving. It's that flexibility too and no, and the hard li- like allowing the hard lines to dissolve a little bit. Oh my God, watch the hard lines. And to be more flexible. And, and that comes from, you, you touched upon it, but um, Wayne Dyer talks about it. Like one of the most biggest important questions you ask is, do you want to be right or do you want to be kind? Mm. Right? And a lot of us want to be right because, oh, yeah. because the ego is like, yes, I'm, that's me. I'm right. Yep. You know, I'm, I'm the man. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got all the answers. And being kind is, is seen as weak because um, there's a surrender there. And um, it's an emotional thing, especially for men. I think it's more challenging for men, um, to be honest to be more kind because um, just, just the stigma of having to always have the answer and, to, and to, to be the man and to be strong and powerful. But that can happen too in, a, in, a, in the place of surrender. And Mark Allen talked about surrender and how important that was mm. as well. Um, and he's a gentle soul. He, I mean, yeah. you, you are the epitome of, of gentle equaling power. Like you're so powerful, but you do it in a, a gentle way. But you needed to step into a little bit of your fire in order to kind of be living in this way now where your gentleness is powerful. Mm-hmm. Whereas my power was always very forceful. Like I didn't give a shit who was in my way. I was going to get what I wanted. And it didn't matter who was in my way. That sounds really unloving, but I'm just being really honest with you, I was still a loving being, just not in those moments. And what I've realized is that it's compassion, power under control. That fire is a gift. But when that fire is out of control, it takes everybody down. It leaves a lot of carnage. And um, yeah, and I don't choose to live that way anymore. I don't, yeah. Yeah, it's such a gift. So I hope so, that, yeah. I hope, that, I mean, we could go on and on and talk about us the, for a <laughs> long time. But I mean, I really, I hold this relationship is like, oh my gosh, one of the, like as scripture, like it's sacred and. Uh, it's ever evolving. It's not stagnant yeah. at all. And it's fun. Like it's super oh God, it's fun, so fun too. Like we're not just always like. I mean, we are always actually doing the inner work, but we have fun with it, you know? Like, like sometimes I'm, I'm like, oh, I love it when you're funny and you're not an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Or yeah, well, uptight. Yeah, like, yeah, I love when you're other, not uptight. The other day you were laughing at me. I was doing something. I don't know. I can't remember. Well, if it comes back, share it, because I want to know. I will, yeah. I guess I, I was funny at one moment, at one point. You are funny. Year. Like when you say stuff that's funny, it's like a million times funnier than I could ever be. But that might just be our humor. Like you get my humor. 
I don't know if, I don't know. Not always. Not always. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, let's roll this. Let's go All to right. the next question. Roll in. Kai, great question. Kai, great question. Keep it coming, buddy. Okay. All right, this is from Erica. Have you ever had any paranormal experiences? If yes, all the details. If no, not something you believe in, then most aha moment during meditation or during activity. God, I mean, you go so ahead. if you look at what paranormal is, right, it's outside of um, the realm of material science because spirituality is a science. And so when I say material science, I'm talking about like the research and the data and the information and things like that that they've discovered. One of the things that they've discovered, which, which is interesting to me, um, that we think that non-physical doesn't exist, non-physical entities, non-physical support, non-physical beings, is that science has said that they've only been able to, like from what they've studied in the universe, only 10% of it is in this dense material matter. 90% of it is um, darkness or black. It's blackness or dark energy. So there's 90% that is not manifested into material, uh, material existence. So if we are basing our life on what we see, taste, touch, smell, hear, what we see is all there is type of mindset, we're living from like 5-10% of what's available. So when I think about paranormal, metaphysical, like beyond normal, beyond the physical, I mean, that's where I spend the majority of my life. That's the majority of my life. Like I'm always looking at beyond. I look at a flower. I look beyond what that flower is. I am always contemplating its source and feeling its source in me. So I'm always, I feel like I'm always there, but, um, I mean, my whole life I've had an ability to know things. I've been really, really intuitive as I have, um, when I first started meditating and, and really diving into spirituality, I used to see a lot of things, faces, figures, stuff like that. Um, super exciting at first, but then I realized through the teachings I've received that <clears throat> it's just entertainment. Like this room that we're in right now is not, it's not just me, you and Clark and a couple of mics. It's not. This room is packed. Um, we live in parallel universes. The past, future, and present are all happening right now. So deja vu is not deja vu. Deja vu is you dimension jumping into an experience that you've already had or that you will have. Um, something that you experience when you start to attune to the subtle energies of meditation is that you do d jump dimensions. I don't know if that's happened to you, BJ, but it happens to me quite often where I am in a completely different life and um, it's usually pretty quick. Uh, I'm with people. It's so far, it's been pretty good, like just normal stuff, nothing fantastical, nothing super magical. And then I come back here and I'm like, oh yeah, like I just slipped into another I slipped into another universe, essentially. Um, these so we're multi-dimensional beings. We're spiritual, multi-dimensional beings having a human experience in this dimension right here. So we can get really caught up in all that stuff, but the most important one is the one that's the most obvious, which is this one. Um, as far as 
conversations and communication with that non-physical support. Um, I have had very interactive dreaming where I've been um, following just instructions from my teacher to ask questions and find things out and be very aware in my dreams. So I've gotten some pretty amazing guidance from guides in my dreams. Um, So nothing too like fantastical. Uh, Oh, I know what I was going to say. When you meditate, um, we the stillness is what allows us to start to attune to those subtle energies. And those subtle energies are that non-physical support. So it's super easy for us to communicate to the non-physical. They can hear us very easily. It's more difficult for the non-physical to come into the density of this world. So for them to get their messages to us, remember, they're really subtle and we're super dense So it's harder to go from subtle to density and be heard. But from dense to subtle, any time you think or have a desire or pray for something or ask for something, like it's already done. It's just we lack the belief um, because we rely so much on physical evidence and we um, introduce doubt, which kind of screws up the physics of things. And um, we ask for things and then we don't look for them. Like, please do this, do this. Like, please, I need this, right? The desperation prayer. And then we don't look for the signs. So it's just talking to someone the other day who um, is so just amazing, hardcore on this path, right? Doing everything, doing all the things. And this person was saying like, you have no idea. Like, it's crazy what's lining up. All this stuff's lining up and it's lining up. And I was like, yeah, but this is happening. This has been happening your entire life. It's just, you started to pay attention to your life. And when you start to pay attention to your life, paranormal, metaphysical, it's all over the place. And what we focus on expands, right? Yes. So if it's in our awareness, aren't we going to... Yes. You, you see the car that you want. Right. You start to see it over and over and over again because it's in your awareness. You're, you're gravitating to it. Right. Attra- like attracts light. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, nothing like that Hollywood would have made a movie about. But, yes, I have lots of interactions. Um, you know, all those faces and stuff, that, that's faded away, which is nice. Um, and that's actually telling me that I'm getting more clear that the mind is getting quiet. But an aha moment that I can share uh, was in a yoga. I've had many. This was in a yoga class holding warrior two. You may have heard the story already. It's like 98 degrees. Humidity is probably somewhere around 80%. Totally silent. No music, no mirrors. Holding warrior two for what felt like a very unacceptable period of time. And the teacher was completely silent, which is so powerful, so powerful when we shut our mouths (laughs) and uh, broke the silence to just say one thing. If you think it's going to suck, it's going to suck. And then just left us with that. And that moment changed my life because what I was doing sucked because I thought it sucked. And that sent me on a quest in my life to see where else I was creating suck and I was creating it everywhere. So that was an aha moment. What about you? Paranormal. No, no. I used to make you watch 
horribly scary Terrible ghost movies. movies. This it's is not a, my jam another phase of our relationship, <laughs> which I have no interest in anymore. I just want the, I just want the feel good movies. Now. I know. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think I've had any paranormal that I can recall at, at this point in time. But I have had aha moments, and one that I can uh, remember quite clearly, which was quite profound, was when we were in Lake Placid, um, our last Lake Placid visit, which was the start of our tour. And we were there for eight weeks prior to Ironman Lake Placid and training and on the course and feeling strong and healthy. And, and then the Monday week before the race, I get ill um, with some sort of parasite or something. We still don't know what it was. And, um, and luckily at this point, I had the tools to navigate my way every day, continually keeping momentum moving forward. You know, we checked into the hotel. I was eating white rice, uh, drinking a little bit of peppermint oil, whatever those packages were to keep, keep things moving. I checked in on Thursday. I racked my bike on Saturday. I um, went to the meeting, the race briefing, and even woke up race morning with the intention of racing when uh, there was no way I could do it. Um, physically, my stomach was still... Um, was still in dis- disruption, like it still wasn't balanced. And the race came and I worked my way through it like a master, I'd say, you know, after working on all these tools of, of, um, of calm and identifying myself with, um, with a sport that I loved. And Going for a run the day after Ironman because I finally felt better and did this run and I'm clicking along at a good pace. And I stopped at the Oval, the Olympic Oval, and just had this profound uh, realization after I meditated because I sat there and I just like brought my awareness. I just sat in the Oval, which brought my awareness to my breath. And it came to me that... Everything that I'm working for, everything that, everything that causes distress and um, anxiety and fear and doubt and anxiousness is based on time, this, thing of, this element of time. And I learned that if you detach yourself from the time, so the time goal, like I need to hit this time at a race or I need to qualify for Kona in this period of time, or I need to do it by the time I'm 45 years old, like all these time constraints, when you remove the time constraint, you strip everything away. It's really, you're just doing what you love. And if you love what you're doing, it will take care of itself. And you got to have that trust and faith that you don't dictate the timeline. The timeline is, is done externally. Like it's already, it's already presented to you. Um, but we try to fit into this hard line of when we anticipate things to happen. And so I came out of that meditation, recorded a video on it, and we should actually post it. Um, the focus of its detachment and understanding that when you detach from time, strictly just time, let's just talk about time, take yourself out of time, man, it, it relieves a lot of stress and pressure. And it doesn't mean that I give up or anyone will give up. It just means you're, you're focused on the present moment. 
where time doesn't exist, right? You're, you're strictly doing what you're doing because you love it. So when you say to detach from time, when you show up to a race, are you like, oh, well, whatever with the time, or are you going for I'm it? I'm going for it, yeah, absolutely. But I'm not attached to the time. So yes, there is a time goal of where I should fall into, but I'm not attached to it because why can't I go faster? Why can't I crush that goal? So I don't, I, I, it was pretty profound for me. Um, and I've shared it with, with others and they seem to have, you know, gravitated to it. But, but think about that. Take, about, take away the time element from things and, and, and see how you navigate your day. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Speaking of detachment, we have a question. All right. About letting go. All right. You've got it. I do. You've got, I do. You do. <laughs> no, it's you. Oh, yes. Oh, man, this is so good. Any tips on how to detach from sentimental items? I have the hardest time with this. How have you done a podcast on it? I'm sure we I'm have sure talked, we've about talked about this a lot. This. But this is, I mean, detachment is the biggest thing that us humans need to learn because eventually we're going to have to detach from our bodies. Right. We're just renting. So we're renting space right now. That's kind of the end point, but we can talk about. Yeah, in the- <laughs> we can talk about de- de- detachment in smaller things. Nobody needs to worry about detaching from their body as we- they're listening to this podcast. We recently posted that we were sending our second box of, of race medals to Medal for Medals, which is an organization that we send our medals to because we just don't need them. And we posted a photo of it and we got quite an quite a interesting response <laughs> from many people wondering... Um, how they can donate their medals, but also the questions like this, like how can you actually detach from that? And if you want to go way back into the archives, Jess did a video when we first were leaving Newport back in 2016, and she placed all our medals on our round um, kitchen table. And we had a lot of medals because we took our medals from Boulder. and Right, because that's what you did. Yeah, and they just you just travel with your medals. The, we packed the medals, put them in a box. We didn't open them until we were leaving in 2016. So for six years, we were in Newport. Five years, they were in a they were in a box. They were in a bin in, in Boulder. So we look. <laughs> they were in a bin in Boulder. So we're looking at these medals, and it really brought up emotion. And, and Jess had her process where she was able to package them away, and they were going out the next day. And I had my process where I was like. I'm going to keep these five and I'll decide this in the morning. And that morning came and I still got rid of those medals. So we, we packaged all our medals up. So we'll p- put a link to that video too. But medals are, 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 are a, a pull on the heart because um, it's, a phys- it's physical evidence that you accomplished something. And having the knowing that you accomplished it isn't enough. Would you agree? To the to, yeah to the for, ego the, yeah the the low ego the lower right. self. So having a medal can can show that you've achieved this, and it's and for some people it's it's amazing. Like this is this is everything. Like getting the Ironman medal. Like this is my first Ironman. I remember so many things about it, and that's great. Um, in our experience, the medals just sat there, and we had the experiences from those days that we held close to our hearts. And we, we didn't need these medals 
to showcase that. And so when we donate these to Metals for Metal, they're actually put to good use. And that just really, um, really grew this feeling of detachment. Meaning what else in our life, and you can talk about this when you looked at everything in our house before we moved, like what else in your life are you attached to? And if, if there's an uh, extreme level of attachment, what happens when you let that, when you let that go? Um, yeah, so we'll put a link to that video. That's a good video because if I remember correctly, I may have gotten a little emotional on that video because it was painful. So when people look at what we did, we put our whole life into a carry-on suitcase. Um, what they don't see is the 10 years leading up to that and before the 10 years is what they don't see is when I was eight years old, I was like getting rid of stuff. So I was the other extreme. I would get rid of too much. Like I'd be like, oh, why did I get rid of that? I need that. I mean, just the other day I was like, oh, we've got, and I was like, no, I got rid of it. You're like, of course you did. Um, so my whole life I've been a get rid of person, but that doesn't mean that I didn't have excess. I had excess, which was the whole aha moment, another aha moment that I had the day we were, I was walking through our house and it st- I stopped in my tracks and I couldn't breathe and I looked around and we, I had everything I ever dreamed of. I had a house that looked like a picture from a pottery barn catalog. I had um, beautiful artwork. We had, it wasn't, wasn't cluttered there. Not all the drawers were full. Like we lived really simply. We didn't have a TV. We had one car. Um, we had, you know, four plates, uh, which were two plates too many, right? Like we still had too much. And that was when I was like, this is all got to go. And it was probably another year before we decided to really get rid of everything, but it was like this lifetime of always paring down. So I'll talk about my grandmother's jewelry. So I had, um, when my grandma died, I was in eighth grade. I was in eighth grade and we were cleaning out um, her little apartment. She died like so perfectly. She transitioned from this earth uh, in her sleep, she was 92 or 94, I think. She Nana. was just Nana. She, her name was Jessie. I was named after her. She's, she was just amazing. She could tell you everything about the Red Sox. And, and so it was, you know, it was a beautiful day of just remembering her. And we were cleaning out her stuff. And um, my sister and I were there. And, and my sister, we were looking at her jewelry. And I took some of my grandmother's jewelry. I took a ring and some earrings. And my grandma, my Nana, I don't know why I'm calling her grandma. I never called her grandma. My Nana always wore like brooches. So I had this really beautiful stuff that I was never going to wear. I think I wore the earrings once for Halloween. And they were in a really special box that was in another special box that was in a plastic bin under the bedroom, under the bed in the spare bedroom. And that's where those things sat. And they sat there when I lived at my parents' house. They stayed there when I was in college. When I finally claimed everything from my parents' house, they went whatever under whatever bed I was living in until eventually they went under the bed in the spare bedroom in our last house in Newport, Rhode Island. And so I, I was only down to one bin of stuff, right, which is pretty good. And I opened up the bin and I found her jewelry and I was like, okay, well, this has got to go. And I remember laying it out and it was really beautiful. And I had all the thoughts, well, give this to my mom. No, 
I'll give it to my sister. No, I'll give it to someone. No, I'm going to donate it to big brothers, big sisters. I'm just going to, that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to keep single pointed focus. We're donating everything there. And it was painful because I felt guilty. I felt like kind of like an asshole, like the, nobody don't like nobody does this with their grandmother's jewelry. And then I was like, but it's been in a box, in a box, in a bin under the bed. I'm now 40 something years old for a very long time. So what is it serving? Just holding it there, just hoarding it there, putting energy into it and having it take up space and nobody's enjoying it. So I started to get some dialogue around it. And then I thought when I I sat actually and there was a little uh, chair in the spare bedroom and I sat down that day and I closed my eyes because I was feeling pain and I was feeling sadness and I was missing my Nana. And, um, And I meditated and I had this memory about walking on the beach with her in St. Petersburg and I could feel her hand in my hand. And I could hear her voice. And I remembered the skin on her arm and how tan she always was. And I used to go down there all the time. And that's when I knew that I wanted to live somewhere where it was warm all year round, which took me a long time. And now I finally do. And I thought, when I think of my Nana, I don't think of her earrings that are in a box and a box and a bin under the bed. I f- not only do I think, but I feel her hand in my hand. I feel us walking on the beach together. And that's something that nobody can take, that I can't donate. I've got that forever. So that was my process. And I donated that stuff and that was it. So that was my experience. I mean, it's a process. And the thing is, is like, I was willing and ready, which doesn't mean you don't feel anything. You feel stuff. But if you're not willing or ready, it's okay too. It's okay too, but just stay curious. Yeah, start questioning the number of t-shirts you have. Right. Right? I remember I had to get down to five t-shirts when we were leaving, and I still had 10 total, like the day before we were leaving. Or the day we were leaving, the morning up, because we still put stuff out on the curb. Are you guys getting a theme here? Beach waits to the last minute. I wait to the last minute. Um, Which drives me crazy. (laughs) But it's my process. (laughs) It's me. It's not you. It's totally me. It's me. me. Um, (laughs) It is you. But these are just, these, what I've done in in my process is the things that I have the strongest pull to, like, that's the thing I need to let go. Oh yeah, that's good. Like you, you do the opposite. Woo! You get to the, you that's get to hardcore. the extreme. Like the good T-shirts. I remember the T-shirts. I was letting go, and they were they were awesome. Um, but I, but once you start on this path, like you really don't want to accumulate much more down the road. You start to get really curious. Um, we dragged my spare wheels for my bike across the country. As soon as we got here, I sold them. Yes, we did. That so was just, I, that was God and drag for me. Yeah, so that drove me crazy. One set of wheels, I, one bike, one trainer. Uh, you know, I had one bicycle or two bicycle kits for a long time. It's just, can you make make do with with what you have and get curious about um, what you actually need? Because we live in the real world, you can go out and get stuff if you need it. Um, but I also found a a. a um, a freedom, a freedom from not having to decide 
different things that I needed. Like I know when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to wear one of two shorts, pairs of shorts. That's pretty much it. I have, I'm going to wear my UFO sandals and I have one pair of running sneakers. Like I, the, the decision fatigue is non-existent for me. And that, that's, um, for me, that's what I truly love about this minimalism mm. life. And it comes, yeah, with a little bit of work to do on, on detaching yeah. from things that mean a lot. But like you said, it's really the memory. But it's we're that, giving it the meaning. Everything is neutral. Until it's we It's an inanimate object. It. Mm-hmm. It's an inanimate object. We're putting our energy into it. So when you let it go, you get that energy back. So wherever you are, it's perfect. But know that you're not going to do it without feeling pain. You got everything has to pass through the heart. It has to pass through the emotional center. So even as you continue down this path and you get rid of things, like as we continue to get rid of things, I mean, I just filled up another bag of stuff because I did a little shopping. So I like to keep things in motion. Yes, I wear things until like they're done, but also like it's, I just bought a new dress and I got rid of two dresses. So I'm actually down, I've got something new and I'm actually down in my inventory. So like, I like that. I, I like to donate things. I like to keep things fresh and it also keeps us in uh, alignment with the law of circulation and giving and receiving and that's abundance. So you'll feel it. You're, we're not going to escape. We're not going to escape feeling intense things. No. No, it, that, that doesn't, you just get better at it. Yeah. I hope that helps. Okay, final question. Let's hear it. What are your thoughts uh, on and advice for coupling meditation with movement? It's always felt more genuine for me. That said, I'm not sure if I'm actually meditating so much as finding myself in a state of flow at a certain point. Also, any advice on maintaining a meditation practice in the good times? I tend to reach for more structured meditation when times get tough, but I'd rather have the foundation to keep me going through the tough times rather than the life preserver when I'm losing my footing. Thanks, and please excuse the mixed metaphors. I love the mixed metaphors all the time. Bring them. So, yeah, I, I want to address... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's human nature. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. Meditation, when things are going well, we tend to lose the things that gloss. got us there. We just gloss over life. When yeah. we're in desperation, we're, we're gr- grasping and reaching for any sort of certainty that will help us along. That's, that's human nature. So... It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to wait till it sucks in order to change. Death, loss, a job, um, you know, despair, fear, um, whatever it is, you don't have to wait till that stuff happens. So yeah, what can you say to maybe derail someone from always having the highs and lows? When I'm high, I don't do this, but when I'm low, there's things I have to do to bring me back up. Yeah, well, there's a couple things, you know, I've done those prayers of death, and I'm not saying that this person's doing prayers of desperation, but I've totally done that, like, please, like, please. And and, the feeling is super important because the feeling is the creation. So if I'm praying out of desperation, or I'm only connecting with my high intelligence and the stillness within when I'm going through tough times, my higher intelligence is going to say, oh, this is so 
Great. I love this question. Like, what does my inner being think about this? My inner being thinks like, this is so great. She's coming to the altar of intelligence when she is in a tough time because it allows her to feel better. This is great news. So let's continue to roll those waves in, give her more tough times and more tough times and more tough times and more tough times. So she can learn even more that meditation makes her feel good. Meditation makes her feel good. Meditation makes her feel good. And then eventually she'll say, hey, I want to continue to feel good. So I'm going to do this all the time. So that's kind of like what happens there. Um, one thing that I, yeah, I see this all the time and I've, I've really practiced it within myself. When things are good, when you feel calm, when you feel peaceful, when you feel abundant, when you feel like, yeah, I got like no financial issues right now, Freaking feel that. Stop and feel that so that you can remember how that feels when times are tough. So it's super important to do it in the good times. And the thing is, is that this highs and lows of life, like that's going to continue to happen. But when we have a steady practice, we get that skill and that finesse to ride those waves the same. So it doesn't matter what's coming at us. We're a skilled practitioner of life, no matter what is crashing in front of us, whether that is a crash of amazing deposit in our bank account or a crash of like looking amazing in a new outfit or a crash of losing somebody that you didn't expect was not going to be here tomorrow. That it doesn't matter what comes at you. The consistency in your meditation game is going to be the consistency in your ability to be skillful at playing this game of life. So I think that is evidence enough for me. But again, it's like, where are you now? See where you are now. See if it's really serving you. So we got to keep looking in, looking in, looking in, looking in. Is what I'm doing serving me? And I'm thinking that perhaps maybe it's not serving you as well because you're saying like, I kind of want this in the good times. So honestly, you just have to do it in the good Mm -hmm. times. Sticky notes, like little messages for yourself everywhere. That stuff works for me. I think it works. Like, uh, it, it, it works for other people too. So you just got to take the time to kind of make good on what you want. And when you do more of what you want and your actions back up your desires, your life is going to flow so much easier. So yeah, like when you feel calm, sink into that. It's not just a checkout time. If you're if you're watching Netflix and you're just like, oh, this movie's so good, you know, like you're kind of zoning out. Feel how, if it feels good, like feel that. Remember that. We all know what it like what it feels like to have life suck. We all know what it feels like to be angry because when we're in it, we pay so much freaking attention. Because we want to get out of it. Because we want to get out of it, which actually creates more More, of it because the very (laughs) wanting of it to go away is a fight, is a resistance, Resistance. which creates persistence. Yeah. So if you want persistence, like it's consistency, it's being consistent with tuning into how you want to feel. And when you feel those desirable things, calmness, peace, generosity, um, forgiveness, 
um, gratitude, gratitude, abundance. You guys take a freaking mm-hmm. moment and sink into that and get more and 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 more of that. Get more of that. That's how we get more of it. We attune to it. This isn't like, um, yes, we choose it, but it's, um, it's an attunement. Those are all higher, subtle frequencies. They're not as loud as the anger or the frustration or the fear. That's, that stuff is low. It's dense. It's heavy. It's loud. So it gets our attention. But and, that's why you need that mindfulness practice every day. Yeah. And so the, the trick, the recipe is like, you just got to do it. You just got to do it every day, even when you feel great. And, and especially when you feel great. Especially when you feel great. Um, again, momentum. So shit hits the fan and you're not meditating. And so you start meditating. So now you got to pick up all that momentum to get you back up to feeling good again. And then you feel good. And then you, you quickly turn off the switch because you feel good and you don't have time to meditate anymore because things are so good that you're really embracing what's happening and, and that stuff slip, falls to the wayside. So I've seen it, I've experienced it, you know, falling off the wagon. Um, but the more you can commit to the practice, the less the highs will be high and the less the lows will be low. And that's not stealing from the highs of excitement and, and happiness and joy. Um, it's just coming back to a more neutral state where it doesn't matter when things are phenomenal or things are terrible. It doesn't matter. You're, you're, you're riding that neutral wave where um, you're choosing how to feel. And when you ride that middle wave, when you, when you can just, oh, just like hang there for a long period of time um, and have that consistent meditation practice or mindfulness practice every day, you've got the tools to navigate any circumstance or experience that presents itself. Um, but what we gravitate to is the high and the low. This is what we're conditioned to. Yeah, we have, we're a little addicted to that stuff. Yeah, we're just the addicted. extremes. Yeah. So high intensity or no working out at all. Like right. those are the extremes that we see. <laughs> I'm going to go after it or I'm not going to work out. How about we just do a little bit every day? And the key is to release ourselves from this push-pull. Like I want it, but I'm not doing it. I, I want to meditate when I feel good, but how can I do that? No, you just got to do it. Yeah, just don't, don't think just about how. You just got to do it. Or how long. Just don't think about those things. Just do it. Yeah, I mean, five minutes. Right. Five minutes is plenty. The feedback I get sometimes where they say, like, I opened up Training Peaks and I saw the workout. I saw the meditation, saw the workout, and I actually just, I didn't think about it. I just did it. And it was amazing. Oh yeah, I love that pink. I actually did. Actually, BJ, get, BJ gets like messages like, "I actually did what you told me to do, and it was awesome. Like it worked." <laughs> right. So the <laughs> so just do. And I'm not saying don't question or get curious about the purpose of the workouts and stuff. What I'm saying is, don't let the mind interrupt the simple fact that all you need to do is act. Right. And the secret behind everything that you guys see and uh, want more of, you know with how we're living our life or things that are coming to us in our life. Like the secret is the consistency in our self-study. And our self-study is based in a daily meditation practice. 
That's the secret. It's just like I sit That's on that it. that cushion is like a scientific laboratory. I get on I get in the laboratory and I do some study on myself. That's it. It doesn't have to be more than that. And that everything follows that. Like it's just amazing. Doing nothing changes everything and it's so simple that the mind can't get its little desperate little fingies around it right. and says, "No, it's got to be more." Say body. Um, sit still. Yeah. I'm going to go di- dive into the mind right now. I'm just going to go be quiet. So body, I'll get to you when I'm done. Right. So that leads into the second part of this, which is the movement in meditation. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. There, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can have a meditative movement, 100%. If you come to our yoga classes, that's essentially what we're teaching. Our intention is to teach a meditative flow, a meditative movement. But meditation is stillness. The asana, the pose of meditation is sitting still. Meditation is your mind in deep rest. Meditation is stilling the mind, and you can't still the mind when you're moving. So you can practice stilling the mind in stillness from your sitting practice and then take those goods into your training and feel that you are moving more from a platform of calm and expansiveness. But meditation is not moving. No, and I would ask. And that's the human, it's the mind wants to stay busy. Right. And so that's, I would say that's the mind in control. And it's, it's, oh, I think it's always the first step before a sitting practice is like, well, I can just do a meditation. And it's awesome. It's amazing, but it's not a sitting practice. And and really, if you want to get the fruits even though you don't do it for the fruits, but I mean, you want the juju of meditation. We got to sit down. We got to close our eyes, shut our mouth, stop moving the body and see what's brewing under the surface. Be still and have the body be still. It's the only, believe it's, me, I couldn't sit down. But, and now I, I meditate right. twice a day. But I get it from the runner's perspective totally because get it. They're, they're feeling that runner's high. They're, they're, they're working through problems in their head of work or family and they're moving the body and it feels amazing because they've linked the two together, the movement and the mindset. So the very reason they're blocking or objecting to sit still because they're feeding the thought of the running and the movement brings these thoughts of accomplishment to the problems that are happening in their life the very reason that they're objecting to sitting still is the very reason you need to sit still and be calm. And the next step is normally I can't do it because my mind is too busy. I can't sit still because my mind is too busy. Can't sit still because my mind is too busy. And the mind is too busy because we're not sitting still. Right. It's, it's you got to go through the battle. So that, so it, there's no Perfect. You I know, love this. I've addressed all this stuff in the Awake yeah, Athlete great. podcast. I'm so excited. But when they, when they, uh, when they, it's not a good meditation or it wasn't a good meditation today because my mind was busy. There's no good or bad. It's a consistent practice every day. Show up, notice the thoughts, choose to not indulge in the thoughts over and over again. Eventually, over time, you'll create space between your thoughts and your actions, and there's the magic. And it takes time and you're going to go through phases and it's going to take um, days and weeks and months and maybe years and lifetimes to get to a point where you sit still 
calm. You tell your body to sit still. You'll get to it. It's safe. And you dive into some stillness and quiet. And you begin to discover things in your life that you never knew of before, that have always been there. And it came from stillness. Yeah, the stillness is... Stillness is yeah. it. That's I, I, I'm sorry to be the one to say it. And I can tell you that I, I never wanted to meditate. I never wanted to sit still because I didn't have the ability to sit still. I was always on the move. And uh, that's another aha moment, the moment where I sat on the couch and was like ejected off and looked in the mirror and realized that I was the girl that couldn't sit down. But I sat and I saw the volcano and I sat in the battle and I breathed through the battle. And sometimes I screamed in the middle of meditation because I had to release some of the pressure that was cooking within because I hadn't stopped. And eventually it starts to simmer and it's manageable and then it becomes delicious and then it becomes a way of life. And then you take it into every bit of movement that you do and everything becomes more expansive and meaningful and, uh, and joyful. Even the, even the shit. <laughs> and it's something you can do. I was just thinking about this. Something you can do when, the, when you can't run. You know, what happens when you can't run and you can't get that, that feeling? You can always sit still. Mm-hmm. You can always find a seat. So we tend to attach to, to these things or actions or movements or whatever it is. But really, it's, it should stand on its own. And you can be with meditation and be whoever you want, wherever you want, however you want, any time of day. And that standalone power that you get back is, it's like beautiful. It's so beautiful. Hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. Another episode? Done. All right. Peace out. Namaste. Namaste.